Hi, everybody. This is Christian Cison, and welcome to the February edition of the Third Fridays podcast. Today, we have a special guest, but before we get into that, uh, I want to remind everybody of the past episodes. It was with my Section 29 superhero, Christopher Major. I guess we can also call it Section 40 since we'll give New Jersey a little bit of love as well. Uh, but we took about, I think it was three episodes actually that I did with Chris on that one. So if you have any third-party issues, uh, feel free to review uh, those episodes and certainly ask us if you have any questions on uh, those matters. My special guest here today is Tashia Razul. Uh, welcome to the program, Tashia. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Christian. Tashia was on an earlier episode of Third Fridays. Uh, we talked about wrap-up policies, right? Like owner-controlled and contractor-controlled policies. We sure did. That was several months ago. Yeah, I, I want to say this podcast has run a little bit longer than I thought it would be. So thank you to uh, uh, my fiancé for the many clicks that she gave me that I really didn't deserve. <laughs> um, but we talked about wrap-ups, and I, you know what the funny thing is, is that I think we got more file referrals ever since that particular episode. You think it could have been because of that episode? I wonder. Actually, yes. I think it is because of that particular episode. Okay, if you didn't say that, I would have taken credit anyway. So uh, thank you for giving me the brownie points All right. on that one. Uh, so everybody, wrap-up policies. Uh, that episode can also be accessed on thirdfridays.fireside.fm or iTunes or any, any place else that you can find podcasts. Uh, search Third Fridays and give me a listen and a click. Thank you. Okay, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about how we defend accident claims as opposed to occupational disease claims. Now, when these things get filed, we make a clear, clear distinction over what we need to do. That's right. Right? So, like, Tashia, we talk about defending an accident as really going to that date in question, right? I mean, we might want to talk about if things happened uh, in the employer-employee relationship that led up to the accident that might discredit the claimant. Maybe there's something in the personnel file that shows some disciplinary reasons, or maybe he was terminated for a non-work accident reason, right? But I think we're really focusing on that dating question. Would you agree? Oh, yes, definitely, because it's usually something that occurs on a particular day at a particular time that leads to an actual accident occurring. Right, and so I think some of the issues we face with the accident claim uh, are not so overbroad uh, when you compare it to the occupational disease claims, all right? Like, we want to know who was, who was the claimant working with on the date of accident, who was his supervisor, where was the job located, and we just investigate from that day and really restrict it to what we can find, right? Yes, that's right. Um, it's all because, uh, as we're going to talk about this a little more, um, the, the accident in and of itself is something that happened within a very specific time frame, right? It happened at a particular time in an instant, whether it be a second or over the span of 10 seconds, and we need to know what exactly happened within that very short time frame. Right. And, and think about what, what our conversations are like with our clients. We're actually asking them to find something that's reasonably easy to investigate. I mean, the time frame that they give us is not 
very easy. It's very short, and we have to really, uh, you know, pick up our bootstraps and really get to work. But as far as finding out who was employed on any particular day in what is probably the recent past, it's not too hard, right? There are timesheets. There are people who can say, "Yeah, I was at this job site," or "I saw, I saw Tim fall down." Or I saw Tim the whole day and he didn't fall down. Or there might be surveillance video of right. the area. Right. So, you know, that hasn't been destroyed yet. Right. right? It still might be apparent. Uh, not to mention the fact that if it just recently happened, people's memories are a lot better. Right? That's true. They can remember something that happened um, last week or last month very well as opposed to something that happened three years ago. So it's usually... That usually makes it easier to investigate something that happened recently. Right, right. So one thing that's interesting about an accident claim is uh, the Section 18 defense, right? We know that we need to get notice of a work accident within 30 days. Um, I actually think it's a particularly uh, claimant-friendly requirement that you can get into a work accident and wait 30 days before really telling your employer because that really prejudices the employer's ability to investigate. But nonetheless, that is a uh, requirement or a defense that we would have if notice was not provided timely. That's right. And one of the issues we face with that is in 30 days, so many things can happen. So many things can change. A key witness may no longer be working with the employer. That surveillance video might be um, destroyed or recorded over again, or some sort of, um, I don't know, something else could have uh, changed the job the site, right? Job like, site, you know, yes. maybe like maybe a new uh, construction company is working on that job site and they kind of not, I don't want to say they destroy because it's not like they're intentionally doing it, but, you know, certain things change about the scene itself that you can't really investigate. Right. Maybe the construction has completed or maybe no one's allowed to go on there again to work because it's now an office building or whatever it is. So it's hard to go back and speak with individuals and, you know, visit the job site and see what exactly happened. And then we have a claimant who alleges 30 days later that X, Y, and Z happened and there's no way to confirm that it did. Right. So when we're talking about an accident claim, we're you know, the defend from day one is really the day that the accident allegedly occurs. If we're going to say defend from day one from an occupational disease claim, I'm actually thinking day one is the first time that employee steps foot in your office, in oh, that true. employment, right? Yes, yes. And the things that we talk about uh, as far as an accident claim, we've talked about, you know, the difficulties of even investigating claim after 30 days. Well, let's say we deal with a carpenter who's worked for 30 years. How do we figure that out? We, I mean, you can even – you can just imagine how hard it is to figure out who the person is to present in defense of a claimant who's, who is probably going to be seen as credible if he's going to say that he – over time that he worked and now he's got uh, shoulder and hand injuries from using his, uh, his arms – from his 30 years as a carpenter. Right. And even though it's hard, it's still possible, right? Of course. It's right? just a matter of presenting the defense, doing the investigation, getting all of the information you need. So how do we go about doing this? Key witnesses, right? A I actually 
I'm sorry to cut you off, mm-hmm. but I actually like a witness in an occupational disease claim who knows the progression of someone in that employee. So, I mean, 30 years at one particular company as a carpenter, for example, if there's someone in the company who has knowledge of the progression, right, you're not going to give the guy the hardest job on day one. Someone who can talk about this guy or this gal's duties from day one all the way through uh, the the beginning of the claim, really – is really beneficial for me because we know that the claimant at trial is going to say, well, every day for 30 years I had five hammers in my tool belt, and that really hurt my back. Right. You know, uh, so, but I cut you off. Did you have something to say about witnesses for an occupational claim? Oh, no. So I was going to say something similar, too, in terms of um, finding that key person or persons to come in and testify regarding the claim the, the claimant's job duties from the moment he started working with the employer. You know, what exactly was he doing on a daily basis? What was his performance like when he first started as opposed to a year or two or three years later? Um, was he still able to perform the job? Did he ever complain about it? Those things we need to take into consideration. And we can get a supervisor to testify to these things, right? But usually a coworker is a better witness because they're working with the claimant on a daily basis. The supervisors are sometimes there only once a day, once a week, and don't have such good knowledge of what exactly he does. The downside about this, however, is in a lot of situations, the co-worker witness is also the claimant's friend. <laughs> of course. right? He's <laughs> probably got a, a, an occupational claim coming soon. Right, exactly. So that's one of the challenges we face. If anything, we're going to teach him about how to file a claim, right? Right, yes. Him, <laughs> I, I hope he's not taking notes when we're using him as a witness, but that's definitely something that I've thought of. Right. So because of that, we end up, or usually in, in the most situations, we end up using a supervisor as a witness who can come in and test, testify as to the claimant's job duties. Right. Okay, so that's... Uh, definitely something that we talk about. I mean, if you're going to say even surveillance, I mean, surveillance is probably less likely in an occupational claim because you're not going to have, you know, X amount of years of video. And even if you did, you're not really going to dispute the fact that someone who's been working that long for a company not didn't necessarily do those things, really. Like, I think one of the main defenses for an occupational claim other than coverage is, you know, the introduction of other hobbies or other sports or other activities that could have caused uh, the injuries. And what I'm leading towards is, is really the IME. You know, the IME for, for an accident really looks at one particular set of facts on one particular day, examines the claimant, and then tries to figure out where, whether the injuries or the diagnoses are relatable to that mechanism. And if you really think about it for a while, that's not that easy to really do. And it's kind of why we see a lot of IMEs take the claimant's word for it and causally relate a diagnosis to an accident, right? And it's it's really because that's all they have, right? I mean, if I were to go to a doctor and tell him that I hurt myself in the job and he has nothing else to go off of, he's going to find causal relation, right? Because he's given me the benefit of the doubt that I'm telling him the truth. So what we need to do is dispel that or cause some kind of jeopardy in the claimant's claim, right? And I sure. think it goes back to... Um, what can we do? What information can we provide to the IME doctor or use in the defense of the occupational claim? I think surveillance is a good idea, covert surveillance, because you can see what the claimant's doing on a daily basis. Maybe he's 
in some sort of like a sports team, maybe right, like a, dancing, like a bowling league, or yeah. you know, some kind of other event that could contribute to it. Exactly. So maybe we can capture him on video doing some of those. We can use it in the claim. Um, I also think uh, getting prior medical records. You know, even if he doesn't have a prior claim, um, I've personally discovered activities listed in prior medical records, like those from a primary care physician that say, you know, the claimant um, is involved in like a weekly volunteer activities, like coaching um, a soccer team and, you know, doing stuff that are inconsistent with, or I'm sorry, that are consistent with a mechanism that can lead to the same injury. So I think, um, you know, just, just being very, uh, cautious and very um, keen about the investigation, like trying to find little clues everywhere. Right. And, and keep in mind, too, we get to remove those cases from the expedited trial calendar, right? You know, if, if we mm -hmm. have an acute accident, that trial is going to be listed approximately 30 days from the pre-hearing conference due to the expedited track. But if it's an occupational claim, we have to take advantage of that extra time to make sure that you have a secured, uh, executed medical release with names of doctors that you can subpoena to make sure that this is really the first time that the claimant knew about the fact that his alleged injuries were related to work. Right. Because if you think about it from a common sense perspective, if you say that someone's worked 15, 20 years and now the, they have a rotator cuff tear, for example, like was that rotator cuff there just now or was it? did it occur a long time ago? And then what mm – -hmm. On, let's say he had an MRI like 15 years ago. What what did he do 15 years ago to cause an MRI to, uh, an MRI to show rotator cuff tear? So I think that's a good point. Prior records uh, are usually apparent in an occupational disease case. Rare is the case where you have someone who really doesn't seek any medical treatment for 20 years uh, and then files a claim saying, "Oh, I just went to the doctor yesterday." for the first time in 10 years, right? Right, because even when they go to their primary care doctors for a general checkup, there's usually a complaint in there, oh, doctor, my shoulder's hurting, you know, I, I, I lift heavy uh, bags of cement at work all day. Um, so even though he's not really treating for the injury, when the doctor takes the history and a general uh, overview of his condition, it's usually indicated in there. And that's what we use to say, oh, wait, he knew or should have known that his job is causing an injury or causing some sort of discomfort or something, right? Right, and, and you bring up a good phrase, knew or should have known, right? Because that's, that's the phrase that uh, everybody who has experience with an occupational claim really uh, – That's what we grasp of, onto, right, yes. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that the first time in my life that I've been speechless that I couldn't come up with the words because I usually talk too much? Uh, but yeah, let's go. Let's go to that phrase, right? In an occupational claim, right? New or should have known relates to two years, right? So they have to file the claim or provide notice uh, within two years after they knew or should have known that the injuries were related to some feature of the employment, right? Right. Yes. Okay. So think about that time frame. Uh, essentially, it really incentivizes the claimant to actually hold off on getting medical treatment until they're actually ready to file the claim, right? Because if they have a two-year-long period for which to give notice of an occupational claim, then they aren't necessarily 
very upfront about the medical treatment that they're receiving leading up to their supposed retirement, right? Because we like to look at occupational claims as retirement. Right? Oh, yes, they absolutely are. I did this for 30 years. It's time for me to stop right. working. Right, let me cash benefits. in. Let me cash in. <laughs> uh, let me get my payback for uh, all the hard jobs I've done. Yeah. Right? So newer should have known two years versus notice, like actual notice to the employer within 30 days. Right. right? That's I a mean, big difference. That's a big, big difference. And the case that we're going to talk about today uh, really hammers at the uh, specifics of how a case really progresses based on which one you choose, right? Um, so we, this case was actually uh, issued – or the decision of this case was actually issued by the third department earlier this month. So we have a little hot off the presses kind of thing here um, where the claimant was – you know, he's a young kid. He worked uh, seasonally for, um, uh, I guess – a municipal uh, cleaning right, like a, like a department, like a, maybe like a public works. I think yes. uh, you know that's probably the best description mm-hmm. for it. Uh, probably a summer job before he goes to college, right? So he's working with uh, you know clearing roadside uh, debris, you know uh, roadkill, all that kind of stuff. And in July of 2014, he starts feeling you know pain mm-hmm. in his shoulder. So he goes to see a chiropractor. First mistake, right? Goes to see a chiropractor, and then uh, he feels that it's resolved, so he goes back to school. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to play basketball with his friends, right? He tries to endear himself to me by playing basketball. That's not going to work, sir. And he hurts his shoulder again while playing basketball. Yes. And then because, uh-oh, we're 30 days after – this happened in July when I was working for the public uh, works uh, municipal government com- company. Right. That was an awful sentence. <laughs> Sorry about that, people. Don't worry. We know what you mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> there are 30 days have gone. So he files an occupational claim. Yeah. Right? His attorney certainly got creative with that one. Yeah, but isn't that <laughs> – that's not really that hard to do, right? The attorney probably looks at it and says, oh, we are beyond 30 days. I Let's guess we have to file an occupational claim, right? Um, not so, so difficult. I don't want to give that claimant's attorney too much credit, but okay, you're much nicer than not. me. Okay. So they file the occupational cr- claim. They go through testimony, uh, trial, and all that, and the judge establishes a, as an occupational claim, right? Correct, yes. What happened when the case went before the third department? Oh, guess what they said? They said, no, 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 this is not an occupational claim. This is an accident. It happened at a specific time on a specific day. What a win. What a win, what a win. for uh, the defense on that one. Yes. And um, I will tell you, though, Christian, you know there's a dissent, and I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I'm going to say I kind of agree with the dissent and what he says. And I think maybe we should have a discussion about the issues that can pose in defending an occupational claim. Is there still time for me to get a new guest? <laughs> I, I, we're, we're about 20 minutes in. I don't think uh, so. But, too late now. Right. I think, I think I'm stuck with you uh, that you're going to really agree with the dissent that's in favor of the claimant. We'll get to that. Uh, the, major, the majority opinion rules that it's an accident really because testimony from doctors and the claimant really pointed – the injury to that initial period in July, right? Correct, Something yes. happened in July while he was working for the Municipal Public Works Department. I 
think of a better way to phrase it. I think I got Good it. Good job. Right. Yes. Right. And he didn't tell his employer within 30 days. He told his employer in December. So that's six months later. Right. Right. And keep in mind, actually, if you go beyond the 30 days, that can still be considered by the judge to be okay if you can prove that it didn't prejudice the employer. Very, very hard, but that's still something that we got to go with. It's not a bright line 30-day rule there. We have to make sure that um, the claimant, if he go, he or she goes beyond 30 days, that he presents that argument to win the notice, win over the notice defense. So keep that in mind. Anyway, you're right. July to December – Tells the employer too late. Appellate division goes, uh-uh, like, you're done. Uh, that claim should be uh, – the case is reversed. It's going to be remanded back to the board for proceedings that are consistent with uh, the appellate division opinion. Right. But please enlighten me with why you would agree with this dissenting opinion that is – Really in favor of the claimant. I, I, okay. I just can't just, wait. Just for the record, I'm all defense. It's all I've ever done. It's all I will ever do, all right? But I right, just – because if you weren't, I think I'd actually get a new <laughs> guest 22 minutes in. I would actually get one. I will not get up and leave, so good luck trying <laughs> to get me out of here. Um, so what the dissent is saying, he's saying the, – the, the dissenting judge is saying that while the prolonged nature of the work activity is relevant – um, and it should be considered in, uh, in establishing an occupational claim, it's not the only factor and that the actual nature of the work should be considered. In this particular case, the claimant was – so one of his jobs was helping to, like, fill the potholes. So it required um, lifting, like, asphalt, putting it into in the wheelbarrow, and then, like, throwing it onto the road. And he, the, dissent, the dissenting judge, um, described this as a strenuous job. He also looked at the number of times the claimant had to, like, repeat the motions of getting the asphalt, putting it in the wheelbarrow, uh, like, overturning the wheelbarrow. And he says that those factors should be considered because they are a part of what was required for him to do, and they were in part and parcel, like, <clears throat> the actual... Um, it was necessary for him to do those activities in order to complete the job. So in that sense, the dissent believes that it's occupational and it's not something that happened over a split second. So he's saying that the 12-hour shift, doing it multiple times, led to him feeling the pain at a particular time. While we're arguing that that particular time causes it to be an accident and not an occupational, he's saying the opposite. Okay, so... That's an argument that the claimant's attorney is going to make. I'm never going to fall for that, but I just thought it's interesting because employers can actually use this reasoning in putting together a good defense of their claim, right? I I can see that where you're getting, you know, how you're getting there. Uh, I think the real problem I have with the dissent is you're not. He's not using that reasoning for you know the thirty year old, the thirty year carpenter, right? He's using this reasoning to apply to a 22-year-old kid who's doing a summer job at a municipal public works department. Right. Right. So it's not it's not it, it, it's not saying you know uh, you have a guy who worked hard every day for his life and he can't pinpoint when it actually happened. That kind of claimant I might even have a little bit of sympathy in my black heart for. Because he, the, the guy or gal is working very hard, 
And he can't actually remember over 30 years where he put in good work when it actually happened. So that kind of case should be occupational. But to give a 22-year-old kid who was just looking to earn money, doing a summer job before he went back to school and played basketball with his friends, saying that's occupational because he couldn't pinpoint you know, where exactly it was and therefore there's the recognizable link between – you know, essentially two or three days of his employment. <laughs> well, That's a huge problem for me. Well, no. I, so I agree. But you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if as a result of this dissenting opinion that more claims like these are filed and they're claiming it's occupationals. I mean, you know, I, if, if the claimant's attorneys are paying attention to what's going on, they have this argument. But what I think is important to take away from the dissent is in a situation like this where we have this college kid who – did a couple of things for a couple of months, and then he's trying to get a workers' comp benefits out of it. Um, I think one of the things that defense needs to look at when, you know, arguing their claim is what exactly was the claimant doing? How long was he doing it for? And how can we contest that that was, you know, part and parcel of the nature of the job in preparation for that argument? So I think it's just taking it the next level, um, tightening up the defense a little more, because otherwise you'll have these arguments coming in. Well, oh, it's something he was required for, to do for half a day. He did it 100 times. Therefore, it's occupational, right? Right. I, I, yeah. And, you know, I think that uh, this case wasn't – I just feel like this case wasn't the one for the dissent to really, you know, stand on the soapbox and really talk about uh, the fact that the claimant did meet his burden – of proving that there was a distinctive feature of his employment, a.k.a. helping unload 200-pound trucks, uh, you know, the debris and, 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 and essentially things like that. This wasn't the case to really stand on the soapbox. So I, I really don't agree with it, and I feel like even if claimants' attorneys were to use this in court, one, it's still a dissent, right? It's not binding case law. And two, they have to really be uh, specific and selective as to where they're using it. Um, I do think that the majority opinion from the third department, as I think you agree with me, even though you have some kind of, um, I guess, a agreement with the dissent, I think you agree with me that, that the right decision was made in this case. Oh, I absolutely agree the right decision was made. I guess to make it clear before you kick me out of here, I have to say <laughs> I can understand the, the dissent's position. Does that make it a little better? Yeah, I can yeah, understand it. Does. It. it does. We have, we have sympathetic <laughs> defense attorneys here too. It's okay. I, I'm, I'm only kidding. Uh, so anybody that wants to review that case, uh, that is Matter of Yonkoski versus Town of Hamburg. Uh, it is currently still in uh, slip opinion form because it's so recent, but I'm sure we'll get a publish, uh, publishing citation very soon. Um, Matter of Yonkoski versus Town of Hamburg. That about does it for us today on Third Fridays. Uh, Tashia Razul was my guest here today. Uh, if you haven't seen on our website, she started a new Friday FAQ section, uh, which is simply just you know answering a question that we kind of get from our clients, uh, you know, day to day, week to week, things that we're seeing pop up more often than not. And look out for that every Friday, including third Friday when you'll hear this podcast and be my new friend. So this is Christian Cison reminding everybody to defend from day one. Thanks, everyone.